But the people that don't practice, it's like the putt that they have to absolutely make that they don't know they can make, that they haven't practiced, that they hope they can make. It's, you know, that difference of hoping versus I've made this 40 times or... But how exactly are you doing it? What drills are you doing? You know, if someone else is a bad putter out there and they just got their disc stop, what can they do right now that's going to make them a better putter? What takes you from being good to really good? And it's usually, it's that 300 to 450 jump. And that's the jump I made with kind of like right around that 450 to 500 foot mark and being able to throw that. It's like, I've just noticed, wow, my scores are getting drastically lower. Well, sometimes you don't have content that they want to see. So figuring out who your target audience and making content for them based off stuff you're good at like if you're not if you're if you don't have amazing form don't make form videos trying to teach people how to do form hey this is kevin fodry i'm sponsored by disc dot and the bii apparel and you're listening to the chain clankers podcast what is going on everyone welcome back to another episode of the chain clankers and we hope you guys had a merry christmas you would have yes, already had is. christmas so hopefully you had a great time with the family had some good food got some cool discs Please share with us, you know, those cool discs that you got, those cool disc golf presents. Tag us on Instagram what sweet goodies you got, what discs that you don't need and you got. Uh, we'd love to see it. I'm just kidding. Hopefully, you know, you guys had a great time. And yeah, thanks again for coming back for another episode. This is going to be a fun one. Horatio, what is the disc that you don't want that you think you're going to get? <laughs> the disc that I don't want that i think i'm gonna get because i got a either, pretty cool one lined up for you either is it discraft no i don't know what the or brand is Discmania. oh you don't know what the brand i is? don't know what the brand is but it's a pretty sick disc oh that's weird i then i have no idea i don't know uh, yeah we'll have to we'll, we'll share it on instagram when when that when you're able to pull that bad boy out but then there, there is another disc that you that is like a regular disc that yeah. i got you also any any probably guesses hate, probably hades no you can't buy those anyway <laughs> <laughs> literally i literally want a big z hades just to see what it's like yeah. and uh they had a yeah. bunch locally oh yeah yeah as a guy yeah. who can't really go out and get that right now yeah. that's not really too good for me so and and i mean they're gone instantaneously uh so that's tough but uh yeah like Horatio said definitely let us know what you guys got for christmas hopefully you had a fun and safe christmas and let's get ready for this fun and safe and happy new year that's coming up that's going to be exciting yeah. disc golf in 2022 is going to be so much fun it's kind of crazy to think Horatio. we're like two months away from the las vegas challenge like that is pretty mm-hmm. crazy that we're almost halfway through the off season when it feels like we're kind of just getting into the off season so yeah but anyways we have such a fun episode for you guys today we're talking to kevin he is a marketer he's really good at disc golf we have a fantastic conversation about how you can build your own personal brand in disc golf and if you're looking to get sponsored how that could be valuable for you as well as he teaches us a little bit about his background in disc golf how he was able to get better making those leaps from maybe being in advanced to maybe being in pro how should you navigate that tightrope how can you actually get better how can you actually hold yourself accountable? Those kinds of things. So it's such a fun discussion. There's a ton to be picked up here and learned. So definitely make sure if you're listening on Spotify, new feature alert, okay, new feature, leave us a five-star rating, just five stars. That's all we need. That's all I'm asking for, for Christmas. 
just a five-star rating over on Spotify. I know at least 43% of you listen on Spotify. So please, out of the 43%, drop a five-star rating. That'd be highly appreciated. But without further ado, let's go ahead and let's get Kevin in here. All righty, guys, let's welcome on Kevin to the Chain Clankers podcast today, man. How are we doing? I'm doing great. How are you guys? Oh, here coughing up. I'm not even the one that's sick. Uh, other co-host here is a little under the weather he's had the fit for a few days how's that been oh you know just uh could not have come at a worse time christmas is canceled this year and uh you know it it is what it is uh been laying low but still on the grind still working every single day can't let that stop what we got going on but uh see i feel like our the rest of my family probably won't be too happy, but last year, because the same thing happened to us, and we had to postpone Christmas. It was kind of nice. I don't know. I don't know what it is. If I'm the only one, there's got to be other people out there. But like, I don't get excited about Christmas. I don't know why. But I get it, excited it was, about Christmas for like the week of Christmas, and then I'm like done. Like yeah. people that are setting up their tree in October need to relax. Yeah, I agree. I definitely think thanksgiving is slept on not enough people uh can respect the thanksgiving holiday but it it literally goes from spooky season to christmas music in stores and i personally hate that absolutely hate that uh but afterwards i'm cool put it up do whatever but on december 26th take it down it's got to go it's over. It's cool. Once Christmas is here, it's cool. And, and I, I, I look forward to, you know, obviously see uh, the fam, all those folk, uh, obviously a good time. Uh, but yeah, definitely once it's over, man, it is over. I remember, especially being a kid, literally Christmas afternoon, that tree would be coming down. We are, it is over wow. and done with. Yeah. I know we leave ours for a while, at least to make it worth it. But I feel like that Thanksgiving and Christmas should be spread out a little more. I feel like Christmas is just like a Thanksgiving with presents. It's like, <laughs> yeah. And music, but it's like not very much is different. It's kind of like the same holiday a month later. And then you presents. really got to wait until like, I can't even think of another good holiday off the yeah, dome after, after that. New Year's, it's like Thanksgiving. Yeah. Christmas, New Year's, and then it's just a dry spell. But New, Year, like New, Easter. Year's, New Year's Day kind of stinks. New Year's Eve is pretty cool. And then, yeah, I guess Easter and then Fourth of July. And then that's about it's it. Dry. Back yeah. to spooky season. Well, hey, this isn't the holiday podcast. This is the Chain Clankers podcast. So let's get into some disc golf. So, Kevin, you're a member of Team VAI. I don't want to mess it up. VII or VI? VII. VII. That's what I thought, as well as Team Disc Dot. Congratulations on getting uh, with both of those companies. Before we kind of get started with that, what, what was your experience like reaching out to sponsors and getting sponsored? Yeah. Um, I mean, reaching out to sponsors is kind of like a like a touchy subject because I know that like everybody wants sponsors. Um, I know that I've chatted recently with some people about it and, you know, finding, uh, what you can bring to a sponsor rather than just what you can get from a sponsor. Um, so, you know, I work in marketing and so obviously there's some, some avenues there for me to kind of be like, Hey, you know, I bring this, this, and this asset to sponsors, um, which makes me a little bit more appealing to some people. Um, but yeah, I mean, uh, a lot of it is just kind of building up your, your brand. Um, I can't stress enough how important it is to have social media, to be active on it and build a brand. Um, you know, I've got a, a friend of mine whose son is really good junior um, and has been playing a lot. He was like, you know, oh, I don't want him to have social media um, because he's so young. And I was like, hey, just you make it for him. 
you run it, like have him help you and things like that, but you run it. So he's not sitting there on his phone all day on Instagram at like 12. And, uh, you know, he's already got a decent little following, um, picked up some sponsors and things like that. And, um, you know, they told them, you know, it's because you have a following and social media and things like that, that we, because without that, I mean, what, what, what value do you bring to them as a, as a sponsored athlete? Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's, it's been good. Um, I've been able to work with some cool people. Uh, I got some pretty cool uh, announcements coming here in the next few weeks uh, with some, some new sponsors for 2022, but um, I'm really like the people I'm working with so far and uh, I'm excited to see what happens in 2022 here. Yeah, no, that's really cool. Especially, you know, that's something that I've always seen with players. They kind of have to play. A lot of them don't have agents. I feel like some of them are starting to get agents. But that's definitely something that you see them kind of, you know, promote themselves and make themselves on social media. They have to have, you know, social media. They have to have YouTube. And some of them, you know, they they do a lot better than others, you know, putting content out. But it's like it's a second job. It's like no joke. But I feel like there's a lot of pressure um, to do that if you want to get sponsors. But so that's really cool. You know, that kid that the parent could do it for him. That way he doesn't get that pressure that young. Yeah. And I mean, it goes all the way up to top pros. I mean, look at Matty O, you know, just, just signing with Westside. I mean, what we've seen, what, maybe one post from Matty O uh, on his Instagram in the last like two years. And then now he's on Westside and I've seen like six posts of him throwing their discs and things like that. Actually like get stuff active. Same with Calvin Heinberg. He posts like once a year. Um, I mean, yeah. it's just, these, these are top level pros and they don't, they don't really spend a lot of time developing their online brand, which I mean, you know, they're, they're good enough that they're going to be able to get those sponsors without that. But I think that when you look at people like Paul Macbeth, who have like a solidified solid brand online, um, that brings a lot more weight to that contract negotiation of, Hey, I can bring you X because I've already shown you Y. And so Whereas with Calvin and, and, you know, Matty O and stuff like that, it's like, Hey, um, I don't have anything. So part of me coming to work with you is going to be, I am going to start doing some of this stuff, which is what I expect to start seeing moving forward. And uh, with a, a lot of the pros, especially people that, you know, we've seen a really big, like jump in their activity of, oh, okay, there were some pros who were good at social media and barely anyone was doing it. And now everyone's like, Oh, we got to do it because yeah. they're all, I mean, a lot of these people, you know, that disc golf is really just exploding. Um, and I think that things like, you know, the $10 million contract like that, that stuff is going to be passed quickly in, in the future. And, um, you know, some of these people are starting to realize, Oh, I actually have value. Um, I posted in a group the other day and I told, I, you know, somebody was talking about, uh, uh, who was it? Um, Andrew Marweed going to DGA. And I posted and I, and I was like, every single professional disc golfer should send Paul Macbeth a Christmas present because <laughs> by making the, the details of this contract public, it made them all realize, yeah. Whoa, hold on. We have that much value. And so they all started to be like, well, man, if I want to get that bag, I better start taking my, content and my brand seriously and take it to the next level and um you've seen a ton of it i mean shaper sports you're watching the disc golf player management group coming up um all these different people that are starting to be like hey let's you know let's get in on this because these people are starting to deal with actual money yeah i am so glad that you said that because horatio i feel like that was exactly what i was saying last christmas was that because paul Macbeth release the details of his contract it allows more transparency it allows ricky to now 
I mean, it's not confirmed, but it allows Ricky to go to back to Trilogy on a four-year, $4 million deal or whatever it's going to be. And then it continues to allow for that transparency. What other sports do you not know what the top players or even the worst players are making? MLB, NFL, NBA, you know what everybody is making, and it's key for everybody getting more. So the more that these high-level pros are discussing their contracts or sponsorships, the details that you haven't seen for the last 30 years, the better I think it's going to take the sports. I'm really glad that you hit that point. Uh, And I think it's just so interesting, especially you being somebody who's in marketing. I consider myself a wannabe marketing guy. I have no marketing experience, but you have to be good at marketing in order to be good at social media, right? So I think being a marketer already gives you an advantage there. And it was just so interesting what you were talking about, how you have to have an online Online presence in order to really uh, push yourself over the edge of somebody else, right? Because what what value do you bring? And this is for everyone at home, because I've seen it in plenty of, uh, of comments on Instagram posts. It's like, oh, well, wh- why wasn't I picked? You know, why is this person better than me? I've got a higher rating than them. It's because you have to give some kind of value to the sponsor. So I think that's super important that you said that. And as being a marketer, let's say, you know, I'm even our our brand right here, you know, we're still a smaller brand, obviously wanting to grow, you know, if we're in our stage, or if you're just starting out, what are maybe some top things that you could do to take your social media game to the next level? Yeah, for sure. So I, I just made my account like this year devoted to disc golf. I know a lot of people just be like, Oh, I have an Instagram account with 500 friends. I'll just turn it into a disc golf page or whatever. I highly recommend just starting from scratch, make it separate. Um, you want to be able to keep your life and your personal things separate. You want to be able to, you know, if you posted that awkward picture of yourself in the third grade, you don't want that on your disc golf account. Um, and so I always tell people start from scratch um, and then be- try to develop like a brand of like what you are known for. So like, I try to be known for like the same content. Like I, I like to like work with pros. Um, you know, I, I just signed Sarah Hokum to do some graphics for this next year, um, working with a couple of other people on some details uh, for the 2022 season. But, you know, I try to be known for like, you know, having good content. And then obviously then I have my own side of, okay, I will, I play and compete and things like that. So I want to have my stuff. Um, but I always tell people, you know, build your, build continually and consistently. So what that means is just, you need to make content and be continual, like always posting and be consistent as in don't give up after a month. So like, don't just, okay, well, I'm going to be really good. I go out, play one round and get like 60 bits out of it that I can make a ton of content out of. And then I just don't do it anymore for the rest of the year. So it's like, you'll see people that'll go through like an active growth phase where it's like, okay, I have zero followers. Wow. I have 500 followers. And then what I stopped from 500 and now I can't get to 600. Well, it's because, okay, well you stopped creating consistent content because Every social media platform has algorithms that promote and, and, and uh, push things. And like, for example, Instagram always, you know, in working in marketing, I'm always trying to read up on trends and, and new features and things like that. And especially Instagram, um, uh, you know, they're owned by Facebook, but they, they like to um, push their new tools. So like the collab feature is new and reels is like newer than posts and stuff like that. And so um, figuring out what they promote more or push better to just get better reach and engagement, things like that um, starts to go up. Um, so like, for example, I didn't really do a lot of reels um, until recently when I started noticing, Hey, reels are really working. So I started trying to make some of those and stuff like that. And it's crazy the engagement level you get through that versus a regular post. 
Um, and they're constantly updating those things. I mean, uh, now if you post a reel to your story, um, every view on your story counts as a view on your reel, um, even though it's different, technically it's different. Um, and that, it, you know, more views, more reach, more engagement, things like that help you build your page. Um, I think I've gained like about 300 followers in the last month. Um, and that's solely just been, I haven't been doing anything except for just creating content, promoting myself and my brand. Um, so it's, it's, it takes time. No one's going to wake up. Uh, well, not many people are going to wake up and just have thousands of followers overnight. Um, especially in a niche thing where you're trying to build something like in this golf community. Um, but you know, continual and consistent effort towards building something you'll, you'll see results for sure. And so what's, I guess, something you would suggest, you know, to those players who are maybe not sponsored yet, you know, they're pro level, they're maybe wanting to get sponsored, they're on social media, they don't have quite that following yet. Um, Because it's very easy to fall into those trends and to kind of just become, I don't know, get lost in the masses, you know, everything everyone else is doing. What do you kind of, you know, recommend to those players, I guess, how to create content that is original or how to, you know, stick out? Yeah, for sure. So find what you're good at. Um, so I've seen a couple of people on Instagram that I feel like are really good at this. Okay. So like, um, uh, grow with the sport. Um, she's a female player. Uh, she just started playing and, um, she, you know, it's like 500 something rated. Um, no one would consider her to be necessarily an expert at disc golf. However, she knows her niche. She knows that newer players are looking for people and want to follow the growth and things like that. And look at her Instagram page. She's gained thousands of followers in the first like couple months of running it. Um, and she, no one is, she's not claiming to be the next FPO champion or whatever it is, but she found her niche. She knows what she's, her target is and she, the people she wants to follow. Um, and I think that, that she figured out kind of the, the trap people fall into is everybody wants to be the 1% in disc golf. So, you know, the majority of disc golfers are, are, are noobs as you know, uh, to put it lightly, they're noobs. So, you know, you go to any C tier, B tier, even A tier, the majority is going to be in AM4, AM3, AM2, you know, and then you'll have what a hundred players in MA1 and then your open field. But everyone's always trying to, uh, you know, appeal to the MPO players and MA1 players. And, oh, I want to do this and, and should make cool videos and things like that. Well, sometimes you don't have content that they want to see, you know. Um, so figuring out who your target audience is and making content for them based off stuff you're good at. Like if you're not, if, you're, if you don't have amazing form, don't make form videos trying to teach people how to do form. If you're really good at graphics, you know, make graphic design. Um, you know, T-Box Disc Golf has kind of got the, just like he's known, well known in the disc golf community. And I attribute a lot of the reason why I jumped into the graphic design stuff it, to him, um, because I wasn't really into the disc golf. I wasn't really involved in the disc golf world. And I started chatting with him and super cool guy. Paul is like the nicest person ever, hundred percent support everything he does. Um, but I just was looking at him and I, was, and I remember having a conversation with him. And he's like, man, I'd love to be able to do disc golf full-time like be in disc golf communities and uh i was like yeah dude like that'd be awesome keep working towards it and now look at him i mean he is he's full-time working with people and you know seeing him out there with yuli and and, and corns and all those guys and um he's like living his dream and and that didn't happen overnight i know for a fact because i i talked with him and he's like you know, it took time. He had to slowly work his way into it. But the same thing goes with your social media following. You're not going to just be like, oh, I want to be a social media influencer for disc golf. It takes time to build that audience and build your brand and things like that. So it goes back to just being consistent and continuing to do it. 
Yeah, I think those are great tips. And, you know, we had definitely pride ourselves on trying to be that disc golf podcast for those noobs, for the players who aren't necessarily the best in the world and trying to learn disc golf. What, e- what even is a hyzer flip? Those kinds of things. You know, we, we pride ourselves on trying to be that disc golf podcast that can help everyone get better, improve their game. So yeah, definitely glad that you said that and something that we are constantly striving for as well. And that kind of brings me to just thinking about trying to be consistent, trying to put out original content, doing the right things. You know, let's say you're doing the right things. Do you have any like benchmarkers or goals or like time deadlines that you should hold yourself to? Like, how do you know when what you're doing is not hitting the mark? You know what I'm saying? Um, yeah, I just like to see improvement. So I tell people, you know, if you're not improving, you know, then something's wrong. Um, and it's easy to find yourself in a rut of like, okay, well, I don't feel like I'm getting any better or, um, you know, I tried something new and it's not working. Um, and sometimes people think like, well, maybe I'm just not good at disc golf. So the thing I'm doing is right, but maybe I'm just not good. And sometimes, sometimes that's true. I mean, sometimes people just have it. Um, I just had a conversation with a friend of mine who's an extremely good putter. And I told him, I was like, some people just have that. Like I, I, like, I like to be considered myself a good putter, but I know that no matter what I do, I'm not going to be as good at putting as him. Just like in any other sport, there are some people who are just better. No matter how much I run, no matter how much I train, I'll never catch you same bolt. Like, it's just not going to happen. And so there are some people that have that and there's, you know, the clutch factor and there's things like that where people that just know how to handle pressure and you can train yourself how to do a lot of that stuff. But, um, I think that when you're, when you're trying to get better, um, I just say set uh, attainable goals because it's better to surpass your goal than to never reach it. Um, and that doesn't mean that you shouldn't aim high. Um, but I think a lot of players, when they first start, um, you know, I'll give a good example. Um, I had a guy that I was giving lessons to in uh, Fort Wayne and he was like, oh man, he's like, I just don't understand. He's like, I want to be able to throw far. I want to be able to play MA1 and open tournaments like that. And I was like, hey, like it takes time. Um, you know, you got to start somewhere. You got to be able to throw 250 consistently and accurately before you can throw 450 consistently and accurately. Um, and he was just talking about how it's like, oh, well, he's like, you know, um, I want to be able to throw far. And, and it just doesn't seem like I, I'm adding any distance. And, and sometimes things just click. Um, I have been playing disc golf for a really long time, um, but I started, didn't start playing competitively until the end of 2019. And uh, I'll tell you what, over the last year, um, I've played quite a bit, um, but man, I've probably added 150 feet consistently to my drive um, where, and, 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 you know, it seems like a small, it doesn't seem like it's like, okay, 150 feet. That's, that seems like a lot, but in all reality, there's that big jump of, okay, well, a lot of people can throw 300. Okay. So what, what takes you from being good to really good? And it's usually it's that 300 to 450 jump. And that's the jump I made was kind of like right around that 450 to 500 foot mark and being able to throw that. It's like, I've just noticed, wow, my scores are getting drastically lower. And so obviously putting is the biggest part. You know, they say putt for show, driver, driver show, putt for dough. But, um, you know, that's, if, if you don't have a lot of time to practice, I say that's the most important thing to practice. Um, I have seen a drastic improvement in my putting recently. Um, you know, when I, when I first reached out to Rick and Natasha about working with them and, and being a part of the disc bat team, you know, I'd only used them a couple of times and I was like, I, you know, I got to find something to get me better at putting, um, because I was cleaning up in tournaments off the tee pad and I was falling short in the putting green. And ever since using that, I mean, I have been shooting thousand rated rounds, um, hitting, you know, 15 plus percent better from circle two, um, and just 
seeing a huge improvement in it. So definitely, you know, committing that time to practicing for sure. I, I definitely have been, um, but also, you know, making sure that you're setting attainable goals. Like, um, you know, a friend asked me what my goals were for 2022 as far as personal growth. And I said, I just want to be 5% better at putting in general, 5%, because it's, it, it seems very attainable. I mean, that's, that's like one putt, one, two putts per round. Um, but I just want to be 5% better so that I know that whenever I go into a tournament, if I'm losing by one stroke and I'm 5% better, now I'm, now I'm tied or now I'm winning. Um, so attainable goals, not anything huge. I don't want to expect to be making putts like Ricky this next year, but, you know, I want to be better than I was today. Yeah, and then also something that's very, you know, people when they talk about goals and stuff is they really overestimate what they can do in a matter of time. They're like, well, if I set a timestamp of one year, then, you know, I will either make it happen or I won't. Instead of having the mindset, you know, like if, you know, let's say someone that is starting out and they want to get better, they've been playing for maybe a year and some that they want to play for a long time. They're like, well, I want to be this good. I want to play an MA1 by next year. Instead of having the mindset of, you know, I want to play this for a long time. I love this sport. I want to be as good as possible. Instead of making like a three-year plan, you know, three years, I want to be an MA1. I feel like that gives you a much better, comfortable range to practice and to train because then you can break it down to more realistic and to gain confidence and you skill slowly. Because if you give yourself one year, I feel like you have hiccups or if you have something, you lose that confidence and you get discouraged and then you just start, I guess, getting di distracted or something. As opposed to if you have that three years, now you can break it down, you know, and say in two years, I want to be playing or winning in advance. You know, in the next year, I want to be winning or doing good in intermediate. And I feel like that is something where you can break it down better. Your goals, you know, you can improve slowly over time. And then once you get to that point, to, you know, to if that's your goal to get to MA1, um, then you're more solidified. Your skills are a lot more well-rounded as opposed to if you try to just make it happen overnight. Like a year is not that long. People really, really overestimate a year. Like it flies by. And if you think about like how many days you go out and play, if you don't play like five days a week, like it's not that much time to accomplish goals, especially for disc golf where we have an off season. I mean, right now we're in the winter. I mean, for us here, it's probably like four or five months of winter. So if you don't get out on the weekends or like certain days during the day, like you're not going to play for four or five months out of the year. Yeah. So that only leaves you, to, you know, eight months, seven months. So a year you're talking about, it's not that long. So I feel like you have to be not just attainable goals, but realistic with your timeframes. Yeah. And I always tell people, you know, I, I try to track every single round I play, practice, casual tournaments, everything on U-Disc. Um, and I, I've had, you know, people tell me like, you know, oh, well, we just want to screw around this round. It's like, well, like, I like to not practice bad habits. So like, I don't always have to be like fighting you, you know, for first place, but I'm going to take every round as serious as I can. Um, and I try to keep stats. Uh, that was one of my goals for 2021 was to track stats and, um, you just makes it super easy. Um, and I successfully, every round I tracked on UDISC, I kept my full stats, um, which was super useful because, you know, I paid, played 282 rounds this year, um, on UDISC and I tracked stats on that. And I, you know, I discovered a lot of things. Like I felt like I was a really good, you know, circle two putter. Like I, I'd make, I was like, Oh, I'd make, you know, a decent amount. And I look at it and I'm like making like 17% or 15% or something like that. And it's like, well, that's really not that good. 
Um, so, you know, what could I do to make more of those? Um, and, you know, just especially with those things, the reason I tell people, especially if you're starting out, is just track your stats. You, you know, sometimes it's annoying and you don't want to have to put in the seven strokes you just got on the hole or whatever it is. Um, but it's important to keep that track of that because sometimes you'll get this like mental block of, okay, I know what my problem is. Well, maybe you don't. Maybe you don't know what your problem is. And maybe your problem is actually this. And stats is going to help show you that because it's like, you know, I'll, I'll get done with a round and I'll think, you know, okay, I shot like pretty decent. Like, you know, um, I had a round the other day, I was playing with Elijah Bickle at Tillman Park and um, pretty hard course. And I remember um, I shot an 11 down and I was like, you know, that's a, that's a pretty good score. And then I went back and I looked at it and I was like, oh, I was like, I put it 85% C1X. And I was like, wow, that round could have been insanely good, but instead it was just pretty good. Um, but in all reality, I wasn't thinking, oh, I'm putting really bad. But, in, but when I look back at the stats, like, oh, well, I guess I was missing putts. Um, so, you know, it just kind of shows you an unbiased opinion of where you need to improve. So. Yeah, I never even thought about that. I know at the beginning of 2021, I really used UDISC a lot. And then halfway through the year, I did fell into that trap of just getting tired of turning it on and putting everything in every single time. But that, that I, honestly, that statement right there might is probably going to change my mind about using it in the future. Cause I'm definitely a analytics guy. I like to see the numbers and just being able to have those stats really, like you said, unbiasedly shows you what you do need to work on. If you are consistently not able to get those 350 foot birdies, you might need to work a little bit more on being accurate further down the range. Or if you're missing those circle two putts, you may, maybe instead of practicing that 15 footer, let's practice that 38 footer or whatever it is, you know, you can actually pinpoint where you need to practice. So I, I really like that tip. I think we've been having such a great discussion so far. I want to talk a little bit about your personal game a little further here, Kevin. So you said that you had been playing disc golf for quite a while, just got serious within the last couple of years. Take me back to when you first found disc golf. What, what did that look like for you? Yeah. So the first few years of playing disc golf, um, I got really into it. I was probably in middle school um, and I would play barefoot at my park, local park course. I had no idea there were a bunch of other disc golf courses in my town. I would just play this one course it's called Shelf Park um, and I would just play it nonstop. And I had a champion beast, no putter, um, and I would throw that on everything. And I came from an ultimate Frisbee background. So I played a ton of ultimate. I played in college um, and I played in a lot of like clubs and things like that. And so disc golf was just like a natural thing to me. Um, I think the first time I ever played, I could probably throw my champ beast like 300, 310. So it was never like a, oh, okay, I need to work on my distance thing. Cause I was always throwing further than the other new people I was playing with. Um, but I just, I remember playing for years and I, I'd go out in the summer and I'd play like three rounds in a day, all like just back to back to back. And um, it was just totally normal for me, but I never thought, I always saw people with carts and bags like that at the park. Um, and I'd be like, oh man, those guys are tryhards. Like I shot a 10 down today with my champ beast. And, uh, and so I just, I just never really got into it. Went to college, played a little bit, um, a little bit more. Um, and then after I got out of college, I was kind of like, okay, like, you know, I need to be able to stay active. I kept getting injured in ultimate, which has been a lot of my buddies that play ultimate play disc golf now because we just got kept getting injured. Um, I wasn't waiting for my ACL to tear. I just, I just stopped playing. Um, and, uh, it's funny. I started get, getting into it and I, I got a bag and I got some more discs and I started throwing stuff and, um, you know, found out about all the different things. Now I'm pretty active in the collector groups on Facebook and stuff like that, but 
um, when I first started playing, I was just like, man, it's like this whole world opened to me of, wow, people are like really serious about this. Um, and so I started trying to take it seriously. And I remember going out and like my first year joining the club in our city, I was like, okay, like I'm going to go join a club and play and started competing like pretty quickly um, with all the guys. And I was like, man, I was like, uh, maybe I'm like not that bad at this. And so I was like, maybe I should start, you know, taking it a little more seriously. Got, got some putters um, and things like that. So I could actually like not putt with my champ beast. Um, Cause I used to just putt with it, drive with it, everything. And uh, started realizing like, Hey man, these do make a big difference that, you know, I make a lot more putts when I'm not putting with a driver. And uh, that kind of got me hooked on it and started playing a ton. Um, I played a lot in the last uh, two years, mainly 2020 uh, was the first year I really like played tournaments. I played a couple of tournaments at the very end of 2019, but um, 2020 was the first year of playing like actual tournaments, um, which was weird because it was, you know, COVID year and it was just weird with, you know, all the restrictions and things like that. But then this year I hit a lot of tournaments, um, played some of my first like major events, played Am Nats, um, went and played like uh, D-Glow and Ledgestone, um, getting to see kind of, a, you know, a whole nother world of disc golf. Because if you're only used to playing your home course, your little, like a park course, something like that, and you go and you play somewhere like, like Eureka 10 or something like that, it's like mind blowing. Because I'm used to, uh, you know, our, we got some good, really good courses in our town. Um, but, uh, you know, I'm used to shooting like 10, 12 down. Uh, when I go out and play and then I go and play like you temp, I shoot a nine over and it's like 980 rated. And I'm like, holy smokes, like, what is this course? And that same day, Ricky shoots a minus 11 and I'm like, I should quit this golf. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's definitely been more intense lately. Um, and, you know, this next year I've made some, some really cool commitments and some changes and things like that, that I'm excited to, you know, continue playing and getting better and, uh, focusing on myself and where I can improve. So, and so, do you have some plans to go out and play some of those big courses again this coming year? Yeah, yeah. So, um, you know, I uh, I was gonna move to MPO at the end of this year. Um, I feel like locally, you know, um, definitely can compete in MPO. Um, I think it's a different story when people, you know, sometimes the, you know the term bagger uh, when people think you're a sandbagger. If you're a local top MA1 player, you've definitely been called a bagger. And um, I think it's funny because like some of these people that like go out and tour, it's like okay, I used to kind of think okay, maybe I am a bagger because I win a lot of MA1 events in you know in my area. But then you go out and you play MPO on the pro tour, and it's like whoa, like that's not where I belong. Um, and so it's like, sometimes people get this idea of, okay, well, if you're good enough to win locally in MA1, you should be playing open when in all reality, maybe that's not the case. So a lot, I've seen a lot of people get rushed into MPO just because they don't want to be seen as this person who's sandbagging and then they are stuck in it and, you know, and then they kind of lose a love for disc golf because they're just, they get tired of getting beat by 40 strokes. And so, um, so yeah, but this, yeah, this next year, um, I'm, I'm playing in Amnets and Amworlds, um, both. Um, I've already qualified. I think I'm the second highest point earner in our state. Uh, so I've already qualified for Amworlds. So I'll go, I'll, I'll be playing in that. And then after that, um, you know, unless I get dead last, which I'm really hoping that doesn't happen, uh, I'm going to move to MPO. Uh, so I'll be signing up for Ledgestone, D-Glow, Idlewild. Um, and then I'm hoping to play maybe uh, MVP Open at Maple Hill. Um, cause I've just heard so many cool things about that course. Um, and I'll be playing all of those in MPO. So yeah, pretty excited about it. Um, big, big shift for sure. Yeah, that is definitely some events to be excited for. And I think that's really interesting. The point you made about almost being rushed into MPO too early, 
Horatio, I mean, you and I have heard so many stories of, yeah, I've been playing disc golf for three months and I could throw 450 and now I'm a pro disc golfer. And that is definitely yeah. not how it is for everyone. Like it does take time. So like, I don't know. Do you have any recommendations for somebody on like, if they're on the fence about moving up any division, really, like what should be the point that like makes them cross the line, move up a division? Yeah. I mean, obviously ratings are nice. I think, you know, once you hit like 975 ish, that's kind of like the time to be like, Hey, maybe I should move up. Um, but you know, I always tell people, um, play where you're competitive. Um, you don't have to win every tournament. Uh, I know a lot of people like to win every tournament, but you don't have to win every tournament. You just have to be competitive. Um, and sometimes people will actually get in the reverse trap of, well, they just like to win. And so, you know, you'll have your 934 rated guy playing MA2 and cleaning up at every tournament, but then, you know, he tanks leagues or whatever it is, and he keeps rating low just to collect wins. Um, and in all reality, it's just, you know, you're only going to get better when you play against better people. Um, and so one of the reasons why I'll, I tell people to move up, the first tournament I ever played in, I played MA1. I've never played anything lower. Um was I going to win that tournament? Probably not. Um, but I like to play against people that are better than me, or at least people that are going to push me to try to succeed. Um, you know, and, 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 the, and the fact holds true, you know, every time I, I, I was talking about this with somebody the other day, cause um, we have a local legend in, in our town, Brent Koontz. Um, he, he's a guy that uh, Eula Barry beat on the, like the third playoff hole to win his AM world title. Um, but anyway, he, he's an Indiana disc golf hall of famer in our town. And, I was telling somebody the other day, I was like, man, I don't think I've ever played a bad round with Brent. There's something about playing against somebody who's good that makes me, okay, hey, I got to focus up and I got to do something if I want to win. And uh, I was like, man, I was like, man, I probably average like minus 12 when I play with him or better just because I just don't want to get stopped. And I know that if I give him an inch, he's going to take a mile. And so, um, you know, finding those people that are, you know, going to push you. Um, and I think that, you know, once I start, you know, once you start being seen as the person that's like, okay, when they show up, you know, I, I won a few tournaments this last year. So it's like, you know, I'll go to a smaller town and I'll sign up for their tournament. It's like, oh, Kevin's here. And it's like, okay. So it's like, once you start realizing, okay, I'm expected to win this tournament, maybe it's time you move up. Um, but also don't base that just off of your one small 25, 30 person C tier. Um, just because you're expected to win your town when, you know, you're nine, 40 rated and you're expected to win over a field of 900 rated players or something like that doesn't mean you're necessarily ready for MPO. Maybe it just means you need to find better competitors. Um, you know, my friend Elijah plays for the tour team in Dismania and he spends a lot of time coming from Peru to Fort Wayne just to play against us because he likes to have good competition. Um, and so finding people that you can be competitive with, I have a group of guys that I play with all the time and every single one of them is super solid. Um, you know, upper nine, 900 players, um, and keeps me competitive, keeps me pushing myself because I know that if I'm slacking, they're going to beat me and then I'm going to hear about it. So, yeah, you know, and usually those are the same players that are also trying to learn, even though they're better, like in your eyes, like, oh, wow, they're like way better disc golfers than I am. A lot of those times, like they're trying to improve just as much and they're better because they're constantly trying to improve. So, playing those rounds with those people, you know, you hear stuff from them, you talk to them, you get inside of their head and they're helping you because, you know, that's what they're doing. Like you said, you know, you wanted to take every single round seriously and your friends are sometimes we're just trying to mess around. You know, you're one of those players and you're 
probably when you play those rounds with them, your friends probably pick up a thing or two from you because, you know, you're taking notes, you're training in a sense. And so, yeah, that's definitely good. You know, playing up your level um, definitely helps and you learn a lot of things from people. Yeah. Yeah. And it doesn't even have to be the big jump. If you're first playing, you don't have to jump into an MA1 tournament. But, um, you know, uh, last year I played in a tournament and um, I ended up winning and it was one of my first kind of bigger wins. And I remember I had a guy on my card the first round and he was like, um, he was like, man, he's like, uh, this whole tournament was full and I normally play M3, but I'm going to play MA1 just so I could get in because there was a spot open. And he shot his PR both rounds. And so I was like, it's not a coincidence, dude. Like you were on my card first round. I was shooting in, you know, I was shooting a nine, 10 down. That means you, you wanted to try to stay close to me. And since I was setting the pace, you played your best round ever. He shot like seven or something strokes better than his best ever rated round. So I was just like, that's a huge jump. And that's because you took yourself up to the competition and then tried to play with it. Um, you know, I've, I've played with some, some bigger pros and things like that. And it's like, you always play your best when you're playing with the best. I, I'm a firm believer that people play up to their competition. When I go play all, it's the same with ultimate or with basketball or something like that. Um, you know, when I go play ultimate, it's like, if I'm playing with a bunch of people who are brand new and can't throw, you know, full field, I'm not trying that hard. But when I go out and I play with people that are competitive and play college and things like that, like I have, I know that I have to get it my all and it pushes me to, to make myself better. And the same goes for disc ball. So. Yeah. I mean, that's fantastic advice. Something that I think everybody can, uh, you know, kind of take, take hold of, you know, if you're somebody who is actually serious about wanting to get better, wanting to improve your game, maybe it is worth getting hammered around a little bit in a division that's higher than what you've been playing in the past, just so you can get that experience. Because I think something that's not talked enough about in disc golf is the physical experience you have to have to be good. You've been, you've, you're someone who's played for probably triple, combined what Horatio and I have played disc golf for you know maybe talk a little bit about that experience how have have you seen experience actually help disc golfers over those who are just getting into the game or does that not really matter I, I don't know what, what are your thoughts there yeah I mean there are definitely things that translate into making you a better player I've noticed you know baseball players make natural disc golfers because you know a pitch or a throw is very similar to a sidearm um, I had friends that were baseball players that played and they just naturally had a great sidearm right when they started. Um, ultimate obviously translates huge. I know a lot of guys uh, around here. One of my buddies played for the Alley Cats um, and, you know, he was instantly pretty good when he started playing. Um, and so, you know, there are definitely things that naturally come over experience wise. It doesn't even have to be disc golf. Um, but, you know, I think just uh, a big thing is, you know, I always tell people, if you want to start somewhere of getting better is number one, know the rules. Um, there's nothing worse than, you know, moving up to play MA1 or MA2 or something like that, or even open and you, you move up and, and you don't know the rules and it, it just creates a bad vibe on the card or, you know, people are having to feel like, feel like they can't focus on themselves because they have to focus on you. Um, so I always tell people first thing, follow, know the rules, follow them. And then after that, just focus on yourself and, and try to get better. Um, and there are things you can do outside of disc golf that make you better. You know, um, I know there are companies like Flight Towel that help you with just exercises, disc golf strong. I know it has a bunch of, you know, exercise and things like that, being flexible, um, you know, getting in shape. Uh, one of the reasons why I started playing so much better this year is I got in good shape. Um, I lost like 28 pounds. Um, 
you know, was in a, you know, the best shape I've been in since college and, and it translated, I could throw further, I could play longer, I had higher endurance, you know, and, and, and not only that, but, you know, uh, naturally I was just more aerodynamic when I would turn and throw and stuff like that. So, I mean, there's a reason why you look at the top and, you know, you look at guys like Gannon Burr or Calvin Heinberg and they're scrawny, but they're, they're aerodynamic and they're strong and, you know, they've got muscle and flexibility. Um, and, you know, that makes them be able to throw far and good. So. Yeah, it's definitely amazing seeing those, you know, tall, tall, skinny guys rip it. And, you know, Eagle McMahon, I feel like is one of the, probably the top ones. And I feel like he works out the most and he dominates, you know, so maybe there's, there's something there. And a lot of, maybe those guys will start to pay attention to, you know, maybe if I do want to go to the next or compete at my, you know, max potential, maybe I do need to start working out. Yeah. Um, Cause I know Eagle McMahon is very, you know, he definitely exercises and he's always doing disc golf strong, but you know, that's great. You know, that's, you know, a lot of people see it as, you know, you don't really need to work out and whatnot. And there's different levels, you know, disc golf players, you know, the ones that just want to play for fun here, just kind of get out and get some air cutting. And, you know, those, those players aren't really going to work out too much, but the ones that do want to compete, do want to get better and don't want injuries. You know, I feel like if you work out more, your body can handle more through all the season. So working out definitely helps with that. So let's talk a little bit about, you know, what you have and what, what are you doing this off season to keep you fresh, to keep you, keep you in the zone? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I'm exercising, you know, I live in Indiana, so we do get a quite a bit of snow and the winter's really cold. Um, that doesn't ever stop me. Um, I'll, I'll put on boots and I'll go out and play. Um, in the winter, I really try to focus on my form. So instead of, I, I like to take a big run up. So uh, in the summer, but in the winter, I can't really do that. So I try to focus more on like a slower controlled run up and really work on my form. And then in the summer that translates into my big run up as well as my form. And I think that's one of the reasons why I added so much distance this year was I took a lot of time to really focus on that but yeah I mean uh you know in the off season my main goal is putting um I just want to be a better putter uh that's that's everything I always try to do I've never lost a tournament because I couldn't get off a tee it's always been putting um and so I always tell people you know it, we have you know guys that I play with all the time and they're like if Kevin's putting good you're losing and and I, I just want that statement to be true more often, you know what I mean? And so that's one of the reasons why I started working with this dot and, 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 and things like that. And I've, you know, I've already seen a pretty sweet improvement in the last month or so. Um, and so I'm super excited to see what happens come summertime and some big tournaments. Yeah. And Kevin, if you're not going to plug it, I'll, I'll go ahead and plug it. Pro coach Hank Clanker save 10%. Everyone disc dot dot com save 10 percent chain clankers uh literally horatio and i both use it you're hearing kevin use it we've said it so many times i mean this is an american made product these guys and gals who run this company are just such great people that i truly stand behind everything that they're doing and the product works it works it works it works i've seen my putting get significantly better i feel as though i can be more confident on the green which at the end of the day especially in tournaments i think that's what it all comes down to you know in practice rounds anyone can be that dude who shoots the course record or you know you're having the, your own pr or whatever it is but in tournaments you have to have that confidence and i really think the disc allows you to have that confidence you can see it focus putt repeat all those things so uh just just you know a little, little promo right there for you guys yeah uh but maybe take us through real quick before we get uh going here you know what specifically are you working on when you're saying that you're trying to improve your putting you know it, it, it's a very 
finite thing to, you know, be like, ah, yes, I want to improve my putting, but how exactly are you doing it? What drills are you doing? You know, if someone else is a bad putter out there and they just got their disc stop, what can they do right now? That's going to make them a better putter. Yeah, for sure. So um, I used to get into this really bad habit, which I think most people do. So I have like 40 putters in my putter stack uh, for practice and I would set them all up in a stack and I'd sit there and I just drill putt after putt. I just do it, you know, as fast as I possibly could or whatever. And I started developing bad habits, bad muscle memory, things like that. So one thing I, I started doing is I'll, I'll stand up the basket and I'll just throw my putters all over the yard, um, various distances, various locations, throw some behind trees, throw them in a bush, whatever it is. Um, and then I'll go and I'll individually walk up to each putt and pretend as if though this is the putt I need, you know, for the win or whatever it is. I, I try to get in that mental space of, hey, I have to hit this. Um, and a lot of the times I'll do, you know, hey, I have to hit every single one. Like, you know, you're coming down that stretch in a tournament. Um, I had one a couple of weeks, uh, this last week actually, um, and I was playing and I knew that I didn't look at the score too much. And then around four holes left, I looked at the score and I only had a one stroke lead. And I was like, okay, I was like, we got the same. He actually has one more hole to go than I do. And I was like, I got to birdie out to know that I win. And I birdied out. Um, and I looked back and they hadn't, they hadn't birdied. They actually had gone down in strokes um, or up in strokes, I should say. And uh, so I ended up winning by a pretty good margin, but I remember sitting there thinking, okay, this is why I practice this. I have to make each one of these. And so sometimes I'll do it where it's really annoying. Cause I want to just like get through all of them. But if I miss one, I'll start over, I'll throw all the way back. And then I'll just keep practicing until I make every single one. And when you have 40 putters at various distances and stuff like that, sometimes that practice is a while. Um, so, you know, trying to set yourself up for the most realistic situation, never in a tournament, are you going to walk up and have to make 40 putts from one spot? It's just not going to happen. And very rarely in a tournament, will you ever have a putt that looks like another putt? Um, you know, and frequently, especially if you're playing, you know, in C tiers and B tiers that are on park courses and woods courses, things like that, you're going to have weird putts, you're going to have straddles, you're going to have, you know, your back against a branch or whatever it is, you know, knee putts. Um, things like that, you, you're going to have to practice those different situations. And if you aren't practicing those when you need to practice and you're only doing them when it matters, you're not going to make them. And so um, I try to focus on, on practicing things that I know that I take um, during tournaments. You know, that's straddle putts. That's, that's not standing there and just rallying off 40 putts. That's, you know, that's taking each putt as an individual putt of stopping, focusing, picking a chain, you know, picking my dot, and then just banging it um and you know i think that's a big part of it i, I i'm known for playing really fast um i, I you know i can go out and play th an 18 hole course uh, at my home park course or something like that in like 35 minutes um just play quick and uh i don't really tend to overthink things when i'm playing and that's one of the reasons why i think i play fast i just walk up i know how to throw the shot you know it's a 350 foot hyzer shot i'm walking up and throwing my nuke you know, I know, I know exactly what I'm doing before I even get to the hole. And so I don't overthink it. Um, but I think that translated into my putting of, okay, I wasn't taking my time and going through my mental process and having a process that I could repeat. And so one thing I've been working on a lot is just like sitting there and focusing and saying, okay, I'm doing this every time I putt so that it's repeatable and, and I can continue to focus on the exact same thing. Um, so yeah, just, you know, developing a routine, figuring out what works for you and then practicing that and practicing realistic scenarios, um, is big. I think a lot of people get stuck on just putting from, you know, 10, 15, 25, 30, whatever it is, their distances and just straight putts. Like that's great. Those are going to be good to hit, but that's not going to be every putt. Very rarely do you have a wide open flat ground 
you know, just straight up putt. I mean, it just doesn't happen often. So. Yeah, you can definitely tell, you know, going out to play in, you know, league nights or tournaments or whatnot, you can tell the people that practice putting and the ones that don't just the level of confidence when they step up to that putt, you know, they go, like you were talking about, they go through the routine and to them, it's just one of those 40 putts, but the people that don't practice, it's like, the putt that they have to absolutely make that they don't know they can make that they haven't practiced that they hope they can make it's you know that difference of hoping versus i've made this 40 times or you know 20 of the 40 in my backyard situation and all i have to do is go through it and unless you know wind or something crazy because sometimes no it's out of your out of your control or your touch on it is just wrong or something, and it's going to miss anyway. You know, there's some putts that are just not going to go in. You're going to chain out or something. But you can definitely tell the people that practice, and I feel like that's something, you know, that 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 carries over and, like, it gives, it gives you extra, I guess, fuel during your rounds. You know, having that level of confidence and being, being able to step up to putts and having that confidence, I feel like those are the players that are going to do well in tournaments. Yeah. And if you look at like, even, you know, some of the pros, like I know for a, for a fact, Paul Macbeth, you know, he likes to practice putting in every situation he's going to come to. So for example, like, you know, you're going to have a day where you show up at the course and it's raining. Are you going to play that day? Yeah. You're going to play that day. You know, if, especially if you're a pro and this is your, you know, a big term or something like that, you're going to play. So, you know, I know he'll sit there with a bucket of water and he'll dunk his hand and his disc in the bucket of water and he'll putt. So he knows what it feels like when you can't get that disc dry and you've got a wet hand and a wet putter, you're going to know what it feels like to make that putt. Um, you know, you've seen Ricky Wysocki make those videos where he jumps in an ice bath and jumps out and has to make the putt. You know, that's a great way to simulate you know, that intense, like jitters of, oh, hey, it's a tournament. I need to make this putt. Like, you know, he's freezing cold and he still has to be able to stop, focus, make the putt. Um, so everyone's got their own different ways. Uh, I always tell people, don't just go out and practice when it's nice out. I'm, you know, fair weather golfers. You know, I go out, we've been having a ton of crazy wind. And I was like, you know, I told my wife the other day, I was like, hey, I'm going to go out and practice putt. And she's like, you see what's going on outside? I was like, yeah, it's like 50 mile per hour winds. And I was like, I don't know. I might show up to a tournament and, you know, I walk up to Lake Eureka next year and it's 50 mile per hour winds. I want to be able to make those putts, you know? And so, um, you know, practice in the conditions you might run into, not the ones you want to run into. True. And even if it's not 50 miles per hour, it still could be 20 miles per hour, 18, 15, whatever it is. And you're already more prepared for that. I know Horatio and I, we've, you've really been the one who's uh, told me this, but it's, I swear Paul Macbeth lives for the moments where it's not fair weather disc golf, because that is when he's at his best, because he's literally just training on a different level from everybody. And I want to say it was worlds or USDGC this last year where he was low-key out of it it probably was us usdgc he low-key was out of it and then there was that rain round and he had like a 10 down and everybody else was at like a three or a one or something like that and all of a sudden boom yeah. there he is right back in it and you have to you have to want to get better in those situations i think that's a that's a, one of those things where you either want it or you don't and if you do then you got to go make it happen yourself because nobody else is going to yeah for sure well, hey, this has been a fantastic conversation so far, but let's keep it moving. Let's get into your hot take. Kevin, what do you have for us today? Oh, my. Okay, yes, my hot take. My hot take is flex starts and leagues should not be sanctioned, and I have very good reasons why. So, uh, first off, flex starts, people are dishonest. 
let's just not sanction them. Um, you know, I've seen people where they can't shoot over 850 in a tournament or a league or anything like that. And then for some reason, every flex start, they're shooting 970 um, playing with their buddies. Um, I think that being able to hold somebody accountable to, hey, it's not just your friends on a card, you know, or there's some way to keep you accountable. And flex starts just present too many opportunities for people to pad their ratings or, you know, um, I was just talking about this with somebody the other day, because if you look at the top AMs in the, in the country, um, there are like seven of the top 10 or 15 that have played one round and their rating is like 10, 30, 10, 10, you know, whatever it is. And it's like, okay, like they shouldn't even have a rating. Um, that's my other hot take. You shouldn't have a rating until you play five to 10 rated rounds. Cause what, what is a rating? It's supposed to be a depiction of your consistency. Um, and so consistency isn't one round. Um, my first ever rated round when I got my PGA number, I shot a 996. Um, and I was like, okay, I could easily just let that be my rating. And it'd be like, oh man, who's this guy, Adam Miller? He's 996 rated. But I was like, but that's not an accurate depiction of how I play every day. And so I was like, well, I was like, let me go back. And I went, I actually have emails where I sent the PDGA and I was like, hey, here's some leagues from the other tournaments I played in coming up to this where I shot like 950, 935, 940, because I wanted my rating to be accurate to actually show me like, hey, here's how you've improved. Because if I just started my rating with 996, my ratings would have just been going down. You know, I wanted it to be accurate and show my actual progress rather than just have a fancy number to put next to my name. Um, and so flex starts, you know, obviously they're just, there's just too much room to cheat and you like to think people are honest, but there's just, there's just so much room for error and things like that. Or, you know, I, I always tell people one of them, even if you're not cheating, some people, like I mentioned before, just don't know the rules. You know, and if you're playing, you know, if I go out there and I'm playing with a bunch of MPO or MA1 players, and there's a group of guys that are, you know, 900 rated playing MA1 and their rating is going to directly affect mine, but they're all playing with their buddies and drinking and things like that. And they don't know, you know, oh, well, he footballed, you know, jump putted from 15 feet, but they don't know the rule. They're going to just let their buddy slide, but that's not going to, that's on the rating. That's not going to, you know, that that's going to affect my rating. So I don't, so I don't, you know, I just don't think they should be rated because you know, they're just, there's too much room for error. And um, I think they mess with ratings. Um, and then leagues, leagues are like, okay, but I think that typically leagues just rate really well. Um, and some people have like bad leagues. Um, I, I have a friend that's really good and he plays in a league with, you know, not as high rated people. And I go, look at like, if you have a bad day, you're setting the pace for the rating. If you have a bad day and someone else has like an even mediocre day, their rating goes crazy. Because it's like, well, you were close to this guy who has this rating, so the ratings must be great. Um, so I just tell people, I'm like, you know, it's got to be sanctioned event, tournament. Everyone's playing in the same conditions, the same weather, the same course, um, things like that. So it's just, you know, there's just a lot of factors that go into it. But I think that, you know, ratings, number one, while they're also slightly arbitrary, um, they do matter in disc golf, especially with sponsors and things like that. So you know, I think that you need to have a good basis and there needs to be some kind of accountability towards like having people you don't know seeing that, you know, that round um, and just shooting around with your friends who might not also might not know the rules or hold you accountable or let something slide or whatever it is. That's just not the way to do it. Yeah, we've definitely had our, you know, hand of few situations, you know, where that's kind of been an issue. And I don't think 
our flexes are uh, sanctioned. I think they're kind of just for fun, done locally for whatnot. And even then we've had issues. And like, even if there were the whole like padding rating, I don't even understand that. You know, if I'm like a not great player, I would like you were talking about, like I would not want a much higher rating than I'm comfortable with. Cause then people are like, Oh, why are you playing in this? Or if you play how you just how you normally play and people are leading up to a tournament and they're looking at the ratings and they're like, oh, well, this guy says he's a 990 rating. And they're watching you like, wait, and then they expect, and then you go play and you play how you normally do and up to your level and you shoot like a 870 or whatever, which is your norm. I feel like that's super embarrassing. Like, I don't know why you would want a yeah. higher rating than what you can play. If anything, you want to have like as low, I guess, rating as possible for your level, you know, pretty close to what your level is. That way you can shoot higher and surprise people and, you know, not be a sandbagger, but have, I guess, not be expected to shoot to that level just because of the number you have. Yeah, and it helps with identifiable growth. You want to be able to see where you actually improved. Um, and you can't do that if you're padding the rating. And some people, sometimes it's not even your fault. Um, I used to tell people, you know, um, uh, we have a Indiana state club challenge where we gather, you know, the best clubs in the state and everyone brings their 10, you know, 10 best guys. And we compete in the match play event. It's super intense. We play like nine rounds of disc golf in two days. Um, and I made the team for our city this year and we took our guys and uh, they've been doing it for, I think 13 years in Fort Wayne or 15 years, maybe. And Fort Wayne's like nine time champions. So we're pretty good. And uh, it was just funny because I was like sitting there and, um on paper we shouldn't have won but i tell people i'm always like hey our city has whack ratings and i go and so i always tell people it's like if i play in, in our city you know any round i shoot i'll shoot like a 12 down on one of our local courses but we've got all these guys that are really good that don't go anywhere else to play so they don't bring points in and so our city rates really poorly. So I always tell people, if you're from Fort Wayne or, and, and there are other cities where this is accurate too, I know some, but like I always tell people, if you're from Fort Wayne, your rating is actually probably 20 to 25 points higher than it actually is. So, cause like, I'll go out and I'll shoot like a 13 down at, at the Mastodon, of course here. And that's like hot. Like it should be like a 10 30 rated round. And then I'll go play, you know, in a smaller town where I'm the highest rated guy and I'll shoot like a nine down or something like that. It's like, it's a good round, but it's like, okay, that other round is definitely better. But this one will rate like 1025, whereas the other one rated like 980 because we're playing with a bunch of guys that are like, in reality, they're 980, 990 rated players, but they're, they only play like three tournaments a year. They don't even have a rating or, or their rating is like really low, you know, only depicted on this one thing. So it doesn't really change or fluctuate. Um, this year we had a lot of guys in my town going out and playing bigger tournaments um and i remember because because last year um in 2020 i went and played indiana states and me and one other guy from our entire city went and played and this year i bunked with like 12 guys that all qualified from my city so it's like clearly people are getting out and playing and obviously part of that's covid and, and the lockdown and being able to play disc golf more but um you know, it's, it's interesting because it's like you go out of town and get points and then come back. Cause I was, so I was like, okay, anytime I play in Fort Wayne, I average like a 970. But if I go in, I play in another city, uh, any other city I've ever gone to. And I look at my stats throughout the year of like, okay, other tournaments that I'm averaging like 985 to a thousand. And so I'm like, I'm not, I'm not playing better at those. If anything, I'm playing way better at my home courses that I'm good at. And I practice all the time, but, but the ratings are just 
different because I'm playing against different levels of competition. Because like I told somebody the other day, I was like, okay, D-Glow, for the example, this last year, I played terrible. I felt like I played awful. I got like 13th place or something like that in MA1. And I felt like I played awful. And I was like, my rating average is like 980. And I'm going, if I would have shot like that in Fort Wayne, my rating would have been like 930, like easily. And so I was just like, what, like, so bigger events definitely rate better because it's a larger pool, but you look at, you know, some people just can't help their rating because like, it's like, okay, I look at um, like Amnats and there were guys that were like 960 rated and I was like 950 rated, 960 rated. And I beat him by like 45 strokes or something like that. And it's like, okay, how is your rating so high? You know what I mean? Like, did you really just have a terrible weekend? Because I think there's, there's, there's rooms where it's like, okay, I just had a bad day. And then there's, this is not my rating. And I tend to think 40 strokes is probably pretty indicative of that. But yeah, that's, it's interesting. I definitely think ratings is something people get really caught up in and it's really entertaining and fun to talk about, but it's not everything, especially if you're new and you're getting started in disc golf, don't just fixate on your rating. It's, it's just about improving. If you feel like you're getting better and you can show that your scores are getting better in the courses you play, that's all that matters. Yeah, honestly, I, I was going to say some things, but I think that last sentence that you said probably sums up everything that I was going to say, probably better than I was going to say it in the first place. <laughs> uh, it, it's the truth. You know, your rating, your rating literally is not God. It's not everything. It's not the end-all, be-all of who you are as a disc golf player. Your rating or lack thereof does not define who you are as a disc golfer. Your actual play on the course does what you do when nobody's watching does those are the kinds of things and and it also goes back to the ethics side of it right if you're playing with your buddies are you going to take it seriously or are you going to cheat and make sure your boys and you get the top four you know what i'm saying those are the things that define you as a disc golfer so i think that was a fantastic discussion ratio why don't you get us into the ace round yep so first question we got for you here is taking out a buddy to get their own set of discs, what one putter, mid, and driver are you recommending them by? Oh, man. Um, uh, well, with putter, it's literally all about the feel. And so I don't think any one person knows what putter that someone else should use. Um, I putt with Lunas, um, and I use Fierces for some approach shots and, and flicks and things like that. Um, but I think that if I was choosing just three discs, I think for a brand new player, um, you know, I'd say a, a Buzz SS in Z Plastics, a great mid-range to use. Um, if you want to get a driver, I don't really recommend it, um, but something like a like an Avenger SS or a Heat is a great, you know, I throw a lot of this crap, um, almost all. So I, but yeah, an Avenger SS or a Heat or something like that for a driver. And then for a putter, I would say go with something neutral. It's really easy. You'll see a ton of new players putting with Lunas. Um, and I putt with Lunas, so I obviously think it's a great putter. But, like, it's a 0-3. It's a stable putter. That might not be the putter for you. Just because Paul McBeth putts with it or, you you know, that, that top-rated guy in your town putts with Lunas, that might not be the putter for you. And, in fact, I actually tell people a lot of the times it'll create bad habits in you putting with a really overstable putter because it's going to naturally force you to kind of putt with a hyzer. And so I tell people, hey, start with, like, a fear like a you know um challenger or something something a little less stable than a than a luna and then you can you can figure it out based on the feel but i mean the first putter i ever used was a wizard by gateway um and then uh i went to like lunas and then p2s uh, or no i went from wizards to judges to p2s to lunas um and now i've been on lunas for the last like two and a half years but um yeah, it's all, it's all about feel. I mean, really. 
So, but the Buzz SS is is probably one of the most versatile and useful discs, especially for a new player, because you can make it hyzer flip, you can keep it flat and straight, you can ante, you can hyzer with it, you can do everything with it. Um, and then the, with the driver is don't go out and buy the Force or, you know, the fancy nuke or whatever it is. You're not going to be able to throw it far. It's going to develop bad form habits for you. So, yeah, pick stuff. Lower speed, you know, good glide. I always tell people because it'll give you confidence because you're just going to go further with less effort. Um, and then try and find like neutral or, or even understable discs. Second question we got for you. What is the favorite course you have played and one course you'd like to play in the future that you have not played yet? Ooh, yeah. Um, I played terrible at it, but easily the coolest course I've ever played is Lake Eureka Temp. Uh, literally no other course I've ever played like it. It's, it's incredible. Um, and then one other course I really want to play, um, I, I'd really like to play De La Viega, but I also, I think probably the number one would be Maple Hill. I just, it's super cool. Um, I've always wanted to play it. Um, so that's, that's probably the number one I haven't played that I want to play. One tip you would give to yourself who just started playing disc golf? Practice more and don't just play. Um, I think sometimes people think that you have to play to be practicing and you don't, I mean, you can sit there in a field and throw up shots at a tree and stuff like that. And that, you know, throwing 50 up shots versus throwing, you know, 20 in a round, it's more practice and more effective practice. Yeah. That's a really good tip. Definitely. The more practice, like just the last couple of days, I've tried to just be by myself in a field throwing so I can not be inside all the time, but uh, it, it's literally so much better for you because in 10 minutes I've thrown two rounds worth of throws already. And I'm directly working on something instead of just kind of yeah. hoping I get an ace or get near the basket or something like that. So yeah, that's such a good tip. Fourth question we got for you. What is your favorite memory playing disc golf? Oh, dude, I have some crazy memories playing disc golf. Um, I don't even remember which one I told you guys. I, I literally don't even remember. I, I, okay, here's a really good story. This one's great. Uh, so I went to a course. It's actually really close here to my in-law's house. And um, I was just going to play a quick round by myself. And I walked up to the first hole. And um, I'm not from the area, so I don't really know anybody. And there was like 20 guys getting ready to play a league. And I was like, hey, this was like 2019. I was not really into competing yet necessarily. Uh, but I was starting to get pretty good. And I remember walking up and they were like, hey, you want to play in this league with us? And I was like, oh, no, it's like I didn't have a PGA number. I was like, nah, I'm good. I'm just going to try and play a quick round and get back to my in-laws house. And they're like, okay, well, you can go ahead and play through. And I was like, all right, cool. And I walked up, and the first hole is like 370 feet or something like that. And I had this disc I had found from a guy. And he was like, oh, just keep it and try it. And it was, uh, it was a, actually it was a Metal Flake Corvette from 2018 AMNAS. And um, – I walked up and I pulled it out and I was mainly a forehand player at the beginning and I whipped it and I just drained the ace in front of like 20 people. It was incredible. And everybody just went nuts. And I, I remember like thinking like, okay, chill out. It was like one of my earlier aces. Um, and today is still my furthest ace. And I remember I just picked up, I don't know why I did this. I was trying to be cool or something, but I just picked up my bag and go, thanks guys. And I just walked away. And so all these guys are like, this guy just walks up, aces the first hole and acts like it's no big deal and just walks away. And I just remember it was like, it was so funny because I got, you know, I get the hole through and I'm like, what just happened? But I acted so chill when it happened. I was just like, uh, it was a great, it was a great moment. 
that's pretty sweet i don't know what it is about you know uh like a crowd behind you letting you play through but i swear those have been like some of my best shots ever something about like needing to just hurry up and just like make the shot so like you don't think about it so much like you just throw it but that's that's really cool especially having a crowd to witness an ace yeah, we had a we had a group of four guys playing at the up at a course the other day around here, and we walked up and there's like a six sum of newer players. They all had like you know three discs or a starter kit or something like that. And we walked up and all four of us are pretty good, and and they were we were like, hey, do you mind if we play through? And they're like, oh, go ahead. And it's like a 335, 345 foot hole, and it's pretty it's a difficult hole. And all four of us literally put it under the basket, and they were just like. Like you could just tell that at that moment they liked this goal, and they were like, "We want to be able to do that." And I, yeah, it's it's I love that moment of especially like a newer player, like or like kids, you know, when they first see that like yeah. just that rip, it's like, oh man, it just blows their mind. Yeah, watching people that know how to play throw a disc how it's supposed to be throwing is is fun <laughs> yeah 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 i mean i compete and i play and i can throw far and stuff like that but it's like man i went to the uh deglo play with the pros event and i just remember the first time i ever watched a pro really through like a real like top pro throw and i remember watching garrett girthy throw on hole two of toboggan and he goes over the trees and i was just like mother of lords like you could just hear it whistle as it came out of his hand i was like through like 700 and some feet and i was just like oh gosh and that was already like disc yeah. golf at that point so i was just like that is crazy yeah that's definitely something that would be amazing to watch all right last question we got for you here is what is the biggest mistake you see new players make too many discs um and this is gonna sound weird for me because i am like constantly trying new discs um but uh when it comes to tournaments um have the discs you know how to throw and throw well and stick to them. Um, I've been doing a really big uh, kind of mass exodus from my bag right now where I'm trying to get rid of extra discs or mold that duplicate other discs in my bag. And so like, for example, the buzz was a staple in my bag for a really long time. And I have a sweet four time buzz. I was like, oh, it's never gonna come out of my bag. But in all reality, every shot I would ever throw the buzz with, I could throw that exact same shot with my buzz FS or my buzz OS. And those also serve other purposes. And so my buzz just came out of my bag. Cause I'm like, okay, I need to throw a dead straight shot. I can throw that with my buzz. FS. The exact same thing. And so, oh, it's windy. Okay. Well, I would actually throw my buzz OS here instead of my buzz. So it's like the disc was obsolete. Um, my heat, for example, I can throw my buzz FS like 380 feet. I don't need a heat. Like it just, it just wasn't in, didn't need to be in my bag anymore. And so, you know, um, finding discs that duplicate others and then just getting the mold that feels the best for you. Like I bag, I think I bag five nukes and every single one of them does something different, but they're all the same mold. And so I just know how that disc feels, I, you know, it's muscle memory it's and, and reflexes and things like that. And so, you know, finding the mold that works for you best and then practicing with that. Yeah, that's great advice. And if you want more advice like that, definitely make sure you go check out our episode with Joel Freeman. He does a great job of explaining, you know, why you should be cutting your bag down, ways to cut your bag down, different decision calculus for which disc should stay, which disc should not stay. So that was a couple episodes ago. So definitely go check that out if you haven't already. Kevin, this was so much fun. Learned a lot from you. And where can the people follow you at Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube? Where can people connect with you on social media? Yeah, for sure. I'm most active on Instagram. Uh, you can follow me at Flyheiser. 
Um, and then I also have my company pages uh, at Heiser Marketing. Um, if you, you know, have a league or a tournament or something that you need graphics for um, or any kind of marketing stuff, I love working with disc golfers. You know, feel free to hit me up um, if you're looking for that ratings update post or whatever it is. Um, I love creating content for people. So um, feel free to reach out for sure. Well, man, well, thank you so much for coming on. You know, best of luck to you this offseason, you know, improving and, you know, enjoy those those tournaments you're going to next year. Definitely. I feel like those are like some sweet moment, sweet experiences. Definitely take those in and hopefully you play great. Yeah, I appreciate it, guys. Thanks for having me. It was uh, it was a blast. Um, definitely follow Chain Clankers on Instagram and everywhere they're at. Uh, these guys are awesome and, you know, they, they do good work for sure. Thank you for listening to the Chain Clankers podcast. Make sure you follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Chain Clankers and hit that subscribe button wherever you're listening to us from so you never miss another episode.